This morning we are continuing our sermon series on the seven churches in Revelation. While the Apostle John is living in exile on the island of Patmos, he's writing this letter to these seven churches located in modern-day Turkey. The church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And this letter contains words of encouragement, words of complaint, and also words of hope. Throughout this series, we will discover how this message to the first century church is still relevant and speaks to our lives and to our church today. Our first week, we talked about the church in Ephesus, and it was a church that had forgotten her first love. And we talked about how we're called to rediscover the love that we have for God and for our neighbor. Our second week, we talked about the church in Smyrna, which was a church that was persecuted. It was suffering. And we talked about how Jesus is with us in our suffering, in our pain, and in our grief. Last week, we talked about the church in Pergamum, which was a church that was confused and which didn't quite understand the importance and the implications of the faith. And we talked about how Jesus calls us to be uncompromising, be faithful and to be truthful in both our words and in our actions. This morning we are continuing this series as we talk about this message to the church in Thyatira, a church which had become too tolerant of idol worship. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Write this to the angel of the church in Thyatira. These are the words of God's Son, whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine brass. I know your works, your love and faithfulness, your service and endurance. I also know that the works you have done most recently are even greater than those you did at first. But I have this against you. You put up with that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. You allow her to teach and to mislead my servants into committing sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to change her heart and life, but she refuses to change her life of prostitution. Look, I'm throwing her onto a sickbed. I'm casting those who have committed adultery with her into terrible hardship if they don't change their hearts from following her practices. And I will even put her children to death with disease. Then all the churches will know that I'm the one who examines minds and hearts, and that I will give to each of you what your actions deserve. As for the rest of you in Thyatira, those of you who don't follow this teaching and haven't learned the so-called deep secrets of Satan, I won't burden you with anything else. Just hold on to what you have until I come. To those who emerge victorious, keeping my practices until the end, I will give authority over the nations, to rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like pottery. Just as I received authority from my Father, I will also give them the morning star. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thyatira was the smallest of the seven cities that John is writing to. But they receive the longest message 
It was located about 45 miles to the southeast of Pergamum. It had a growing economy. It had a lot of trade, a lot of business. There were a lot of opportunities to make a good living and to grow a successful business. But there was a catch. All the entrepreneurs and business people in Thyatira were required to be members of the trade guilds. There were guilds of wool workers, linen workers, leather workers, potters, bakers, and blacksmiths. The city merged their commerce, their theology, and their government. They connected their business, politics, and religion. There were even coins in Thyatira which depicted a false god and an emperor shaking hands. That's how far this this merge went. So if you were going to be successful in any business endeavor in the city of Thyatira, you were required not only to be a member of the guild, but to attend the guild banquets. These banquets would often take place in the pagan temples where animals were sacrificed to the gods and then eaten by these members of the guild. And so as you can imagine, this was a difficult situation for the early Christians in Thyatira to navigate. If they don't participate in these feasts and in these ceremonies at the guild banquets, then how do they expect to make a living? How are they going to run a successful business? How are they going to provide for their families? How are they going to be able to do business and to network without being able to interact with other business owners? On the other hand, if they do participate in these guild banquets, then that means that they are being unfaithful to the God that has called them. This God whose first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. We can see their predicament. And Jesus shares an important word for them and for us this morning. In His message to Thyatira, Jesus is described as God's Son whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are fine like brass. Christ has these penetrating eyes of fire. He has these solid feet of brass planted firmly on the ground, unswerving, unwavering, strong. With His fiery eyes, Jesus sees through all our facades, all our masks, all our disguises. He sees all of our faults, all our sins, all our gifts, and all of our intentions. He sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Jesus starts with the good. He always does that. He he gives them credit for the things that they have been doing well. He says, I know your works, your love and faithfulness, your service and endurance. I also know that the works you have done most recently are even greater than those you did at first. So unlike the church in Ephesus, which had forgotten her first love, the church in Thyatira had grown in their love. They had grown in their commitment to love, to faith, to service, 
to endurance. But Jesus' blazing eyes finds an issue with this church. He continues, after the good, with the bad and the ugly. He says, But I have this against you. You put up with that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. You allow her to teach and to mislead my servants into committing sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Someone in the congregation in Thyatira was misleading the people, was leading the people astray with false teachings. And Jesus describes this person by referencing another person from the Old Testament, a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab of Israel. She had a reputation of being one of the most notoriously evil women in Hebrew history. Her father, Ethbal, was a priest of Aphrodite, and he had risen to his position after murdering his predecessor. So we can see the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Jezebel herself becomes a priestess of Aphrodite, and she is able to persuade her husband, King Ahab, to build a temple and an altar to Aphrodite in the kingdom of Israel. And she supports 850 prophets in her cult, killing off all of the righteous prophets of Israel. She corrupted and contaminated the nation of Israel, and King Ahab simply goes along with it. His story and Jezebel's story is a warning to the church in Thyatira. The original Jezebel had been dead for about a thousand years by this point, but her influence continues on in the first century church. This Jezebel character is encouraging the Christians in Thyatira to attend the guild banquets, to enter the pagan temples, to eat the meat that's sacrificed to the false gods. This Jezebel character says, Sins don't really matter. You can do what you want. She's a symbol of religion that's separated from God and focused on success at all costs. Jezebel's influence is still around today. She tries to persuade us to assimilate into the culture, to assimilate into society, to give up our morals, to give up our ethics, to give up what we know is right, and to go along with what everybody else is doing. As Eugene Peterson writes, instead of refusing to participate in what was evil, Jezebel taught that Christians must assimilate all the evil and thereby redeem it. But Christ's command is that we should differentiate. As Christians, we are called to be different. That doesn't mean that we need to act holier than thou. You never see Jesus acting arrogant, so we shouldn't either. Instead, we should recognize that Christ has called us to a deeper way of life. As the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Jezebel's teaching can be summed up in two main claims. The first claim, 
Do what makes you feel good. The second claim. Do what you can to get what you want. It's about greed, lust, instantaneous gratification. That doesn't leave very much room for Christ's invitation to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow Jesus. Now we can get distracted by the glamorous, the new and improved, the next best thing. It's all about the outside appearance. It's about attractiveness. What looks good on Instagram and Facebook? What looks good on magazines and in television commercials? It's about following the new celebrity trend. But there's no real or lasting substance to that. Beauty and fame, the material things of this world, will fade away. But we are called to go deeper. It's about living our lives with sincerity and integrity and humility. As Eugene Peterson writes, Christ, who searches mind and heart, sees past religious glamour, a moral front, dazzling entertainment, and God jargon. He finds that placed deep within us where the seed of faith can be planted and cultivated and where foolish appearing things like prayer and love and fidelity strike deep roots in the field of life and become the realities that rule the world. Jesus comes into our lives and teaches us about the great reversal. All those things that we think are so important, success and money, all of those things don't really matter. Jesus tells us that those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Jesus tells us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus tells us no one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. Hold on to your principles. Do what's right even when it's hard. Think of others more than you think of yourself. To those who will hold true, Jesus has a promise. To those who emerge victorious, keeping my practices until the end, I will give authority over the nations, to rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like pottery, just as I received authority from my Father. I will also give them the morning star, if you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This morning, Jesus is calling us to go deeper than the surface, to go deeper than the material. Jesus is asking us to look past the shiny, new distractions that make us lose focus on what really matters. Jesus wants us to go Deeper. In the last battle, C.S. Lewis's final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, the land of Narnia has come to an end. And Aslan the lion has created a new and a better world. The main characters of the book are reconnected with friends that had died long ago. And this new, real Narnia is eternal. It's everlasting. It's bigger 
and better than the old one ever was. And so as they journey into this new land, Aslan encourages them to continue to go further in and further up. One character named Mr. Tumnus describes this land by saying, it's like an onion, except that as you go in and in, each circle is larger than the last. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of the Christian journey, what the Christian journey is all about. Christian journey, like ogres apparently, are like onions because they have layers. You've seen the movie Shrek, then you know what I'm talking about. But this idea of going further up and further in is a beautiful picture of what the Christian faith is all about. We are invited to journey deeper in our faith and deeper in our relationship with God. As one theologian states, God is infinite. God goes on forever within God's self. Within God, you find all of existence, all potential, all love, and all things as they really are and are truly meant to be. This morning we can ask ourselves a question. Am I a follower of Christ? Am I a member of Christ's holy church? Am I a Christian? Even if you say yes to all of those questions, that is just the beginning. We are invited to attend this extravagant banquet, to have a place at the table. We are welcomed to feast. So you may say yes to this invitation that God offers to you this morning. May you continue to go further up and further in. Amen.